0: Romans 12, A Living Sacrifice Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Humble service in the body of Christ. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality.
1: Well, thanks for reading that one out for us, Diane. What a cracking passage to be working for. Well, I'm Liam, uh, the other pastor, and it is uh, great to be back. I've just had a couple of weeks off, and it's been uh, fantastic to get some other jobs done, but it's always lovely to get back uh, to the church family, uh, and especially when we get to dive into a passage like this. Uh, Now as we work through it if any questions pop to mind we will be having question time straight after the sermon so uh, you don't have to shout them out you can text them in or just note them down and you can ask uh, straight after that goes to you if you're watching on YouTube too Uh, please text your questions in and we'll have a crack uh, at answering those afterwards Uh, but it is really good to be back. Uh, Now, I've uh, just got through a a season, well, a little while ago, uh, of my wife's birthday. uh, And birthdays and anniversaries always kind of uh, raise that question of what makes a good gift. Uh, Now, if you know uh, Lucy and I, uh, and if you've talked to us about gifts before, you might find we're a little bit unorthodox when it comes to gifts. Uh, Over the years, uh, I've given Lucy a range of gifts for her birthday. I'm pretty sure one year it was jip uh, rocking a, a ceiling, uh, or paying for someone else to jib rock a ceiling. Uh, some some of you will be horrified. She actually got a Dyson one year. You know, it's like one of those 50s commercials. You know, get your wife what she wants this Christmas. Christmas get her a new mop. Uh, but uh, but this year, well, it was actually for 2019. I took it to the Phantom of the Opera. We got some uh, got some tickets. That was a big special. Uh, that was a COVID delayed gift. Uh, but it's really interesting. I always find it hilarious to let cursed uh, Rob's wife know what I've bought Lucy because she's usually horrified uh, at the kind of gifts I get. Whereas Lucy goes, "Great! I really wanted this vacuum. We couldn't justify it otherwise. Fantastic! Actually, this was it a washing machine this year, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah. How about that? Uh, but what makes it? What makes a good gift? Uh, if you're like me, maybe you wish there was a manual uh, that says this is this is the right gift for the right occasion and it will be right." well what about when it comes to God Uh, what what about when you think about what I would like to offer to God if you're a Christian if you're in God's family if you've been forgiven and adopted by him uh, maybe maybe if that's crossed your mind what what sort of gift uh, might you want to give to God Uh, and it might be the word gift might might be right for you it might be offering or sacrifice you think well what what could I do for God what could I give to God what makes an acceptable appropriate sacrifice You know, a vacuum cleaner may or may not be a good gift for a spouse. But what what do you give God? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, God's people, the Israelites, uh, they were actually given some very very clear guidelines uh, on what appropriate offerings were for God. Here's here's one of those for one of the feast days. And I love the detail it gives. Uh, Leviticus 23, on the day that you wave the sheaf, that's a a sheaf of grain, uh, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect, together with its grain offering, two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering, a quarter of a hin of wine. So as long as you know your uh, ancient Israelite to modern metrics conversion table, uh, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Uh, you know what sort of animal, a lamb, you know how old it is, A year old yeah you know it's to be without blemish not just an old scraggler and with that an amount of flour not just a random amount but you know the right amount an ephah of the finest flour and a certain amount of wine yeah okay this is an offering a a sacrifice a gift uh, in a way for God but what about now what about for God's people post the coming of Jesus Because there is a huge change when Jesus came, God himself, uh, to gather a people for himself. Uh, And there's a big change to how we relate to God. The Old Testament sacrificial system is done away with. That's really clear. So how do we come up with the sacrifice for God? Well, we don't come up with it. Well, the Bible actually goes there and it was read for us by Diane just before. Have a look at this, Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, uh, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, that's a lot more vague, isn't it, than the first one. I kind of wish uh, Paul, when he was writing Romans, had given us some more specifics. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to find a lamb, a year old. I mean, I could handle that one. I don't know what you guys would do. Uh, but but to you, wouldn't it be nice to know, well, what a living sacrifice of your bodies as a living sacrifice? What does that mean? What does that look like? How do you know if you've done it right or wrong? Well, what, what is a good sacrifice? How do I do it? And, and what do we do when we get that feeling that I'm not sure I'm doing this right? I'm not quite sure exactly what a living sacrifice is. And even if I did know, how is is my living sacrifice compared to everyone else's? How does it compare? So that's where we're heading today as we unpack this passage uh, in Romans 12. We're going to be looking at this uh, concept of a living sacrifice. We'll ask, well, what is it? Uh, And as we work through, we'll see that it involves a renewal of the mind. We'll see that being a living sacrifice actually is being complementary. There's a complementary aspect to it. Will be encouraged to use whatever gifts we've been given, uh, and see that that actually creates a culture. When each individual Christian in a community uh, behaves in a certain way, it creates a whole culture that fits together really beautifully. So I'm going to pray for us again now, and then we'll uh, we'll dive in. Please join me, Father God. We thank you and praise you uh, that you are such a good God, that you are so worthy of praise that you are worthy of gifts, of offering, of sacrifice uh, in thanks. Uh, And we pray as we we dig into this passage today that you'll show us what it is that you desire of us. Please keep our eyes and ears and hearts open. Please help me to speak clearly and faithfully uh, and show us what it is that we can do uh, that is proper and acceptable in your sight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, a living sacrifice, what is it? And we'll read that verse again, uh, just so we know exactly where we are. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, the first thing we have to say is that uh, even though the word sacrifice is used, and if you've been reading your Old Testament, you might realise that actually the sacrificial system, in a lot of ways, was there to deal with sin. So when you have sinned, when you have broken uh, your relationship with God by disobeying Him, by rejecting Him, by rebelling against Him, as an Israelite, you would offer a sacrifice to seek to repair that relationship. And so sometimes when we read this word sacrifice, we can think, okay, well, is that what's happening here. Uh, is... Is what we do with our bodies, our living sacrifices, is it a way to deal with sin? Is it a way to make up? Is it kind of a penance that you do something bad, you better do something good to, make, to offset it, to make a sacrifice, to atone for it? And that is very clearly not the case as we step through the New Testament. Uh, the first reason uh, we see that uh, is, is just here in uh, uh, verse, verse 1. Uh, Paul kicks off with, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So there's a couple of things in this verse that give us a clue that this isn't dealing with sins. First, therefore, who he's talking to? Brothers and sisters. That's the way that Paul talks to Christians, to the church. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll have have seen Paul's been talking about Jews, about Gentiles. Uh, That's talking about your ethnic heritage. Whereas here, he's saying brothers and sisters, or a great word, brethren. Brothers and sisters, the children of God, these are people who are in God's family, who have already been forgiven, already been cleansed, already been adopted. Uh, we know from what Jesus did for us, there is nothing more to do, nothing more to pay. No, no, no um, ritual or lifestyle can deal with our sin. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for it, He atoned. He was the once-for-all sacrifice. And so when Paul says, in view of God's mercy, that's what he's referring back to. He's saying something has already happened if you're a brother and sister. If you're a Christian, you have received God's mercy. In view of that, look at what God's done for you. He has made the ultimate sacrifice. He has forgiven you. He has dealt with your sins once and all completely. Nothing more to pay. so it's, it's not atoning. Uh, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul puts it a different way. He says this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, "You are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. He says, "Look, something has already happened in the past. God's mercy. You were bought with a Christ, Jesus with a price. Jesus bought you with his death. With his atoning death on the cross, he, he purchased your salvation. Because that's happened, therefore, now do something with your bodies. In the language uh, of, of Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And what is clear is that it's, not a, it's not a segment. It's not a slice. It's not saying, therefore, in view of what God's done for you, allocate two hours on a Sunday afternoon. Therefore, in view of what done, God's done for you, change the box you tick on the census. It's not just give God the spiritual part of your life, saying, give God all of your life. See, we're not to think that, you know, I've got my spiritual life here. This is how I feel. This is what my spiritual reality is, my relationship with God. And then over here in a separate kind of category is what I do with my body. Now, what I do weekday at work, nine to five, whatever I'm doing during the week, that's separate to what I do spiritually. No, that's not the way the Bible talks. We are a whole body. We're all connected. And Paul says, if we are in Christ, if we're a Christian, we have a new father, a new relationship with God, and now we have a new life and a new relationship, the way we relate to our father. So what is a living sacrifice when we get down to it? Well, really, it's, it's a life lived for someone. Uh, I, I've been thinking about this clearly a lot this week. Uh, and, and in principle, I reckon it's easier to die for something than to live for something. It's easier, I think, to die for something or someone than to live for something or someone. Because a death is in an instant, isn't it? You step in front of a bullet, you know, you take someone's place, uh, maybe a revolution, you know, you step up and say, oh, I would die for this. And Paul turns around and says, well, that's wonderful. You love God so much, you die for him, but would you live for him? But, see, living is, is, is much longer lasting, isn't it? A death takes an instant, it's a, it's a moment, an impulse maybe, maybe real and genuine and deep but to get up day after day. Maybe you think about someone in your, in your, in your life, a, a friend, a family member, a spouse maybe. You say, well, I, I would die for them. If it came to it, yeah, I'd take that bullet, I'd take their place. But much harder, I think, to get up day after day and live for them every day, no matter how we're feeling, no matter what's going on. This is a big thing. Uh, well, well, there's a whole bunch of people who've said this. Uh, it's a or variation of this quote. You might have heard it before. Uh, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. Uh, see, the, a, a dead sacrifice, you kill it, then you put it on the altar, it's done. Problem with a living sacrifice, it keeps sort of dragging itself off and running away. You can imagine trying to sacrifice a sheep and I don't want to be here on this altar. I want to head off. And I think that's kind of catches this whole life thing. It's not a 1 minute, 1 moment decision. Yes, I'll I'll die? No, no, I will live. Day in, day out, no matter what is going on, which will mean we'll have to keep coming back. Because we won't do it perfectly. We've looked at that already through Romans, haven't we? We're not yet in our perfected bodies with our creator. We will we will fail. We won't do it perfectly but it will be a life with a direction and attitude that keeps coming back and living for our Heavenly Father. Uh, I tried to come up with a bit of a definition for living sacrifice. I've mashed a few things together. And this is, I think, in my mind what it seems to be. A living sacrifice is a life, a, a life of visible, lived out physical actions that are an offering and service of thankfulness and obedience to the Lord. So it's, it's not just what you do. Uh, it's not just a list of things that you do and wh- what you feel is irrelevant, but nor is it just emotions, just a spiritual thing. It- it's both. It is what you do, physical, lived out. That's what a living sacrifice is, but it's driven from a real relationship an offering of thankfulness and obedience and gratitude to a heavenly father, a living sacrifice And so that will mean a physical change, a change in our life. And we see that as we work through into into verse 2. Do not conform, Paul writes, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the world has a pattern, a way of living, and that is not, Paul writes, to be the pattern of God's people. And before we get too carried away imagining what the pattern of the world is, it's not the quintessential sex drugs and rock and roll it's not like that's the pattern of the world and then there's this kind of moral christian pattern the pattern of the world is the pattern of living for self uh, of deciding for myself who i want to be and what i want to do because i want to make those decisions that's the pattern of the world when you dig down deep. So depending on what background you've come from, we can really miss this. For some of us, we really did come from the sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. And hopefully it's pretty clear that, that that pattern is not to be followed when you come into God's family. But for many of us, we've come from quite a moral or Christianized background into the family of God. And there's a danger if you've come from that kind of background We can think that not much needs to change when you become a Christian. Not much needs to change because, you know, I don't drink too much. I don't sleep around or whatever it is. So not much needs to change. I don't really need to repent of much because I'm pretty moral. I'm pretty Christianized. Well, that, according to the Bible, is wrong. You've got to dig deeper and say, well, what was I living for? How did I make decisions? What was the ultimate goal of anything I did? And I think if we dig deep enough, pre-Jesus, the answer will be self. I did it for myself. Because I think that is what will make me most satisfied. That will bring me most joy in life. Whatever decision you made, whether it was moral or immoral, uh, whether it was traditionally good or bad, I made that decision to do those things in life because that's what I I thought would make me most happy. Even if those things were things to do for other people, even if it was you know going off with UNICEF or volunteering, I'm doing that because I think that's the best thing I can do with my life that will make me most satisfied. And the change then is it becomes God-focused. We see that especially in the second half of verse two. Uh, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good pleasing and perfect will that's fundamentally the change that happens the pattern of the world is I'm going to figure out what my will is what I want to do what will make me most satisfied even what is best to do with my life I'll decide that the change of the pattern is now I'm going to determine what God's will is what will make him happy what will bring him satisfaction and glory and pleasure We will change to doing it for God. Will we find satisfaction is that? Yeah, we will. Because God's designed us to be in relationship with him. But fundamentally, we're looking to him and what he says, what pleases and honours God is the goal. Not just what I think will bring me satisfaction. So how do we get there? How do you make that change from living from self to living for God? Well, it comes down to this idea of mind renewal, uh, and, and Paul works us through that. Uh, we, we reverse back then to verse 2, and he says, You don't you don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And now, the, the language here that I think is most helpful for me is the language of soaking, uh, or if you're into flavouring foods, marinating. It doesn't really matter what you're marinating, whether it's tofu or chicken or some vegetable, uh, but whatever you soak it in, that's what the flavour it's going to take up, isn't it? Whether it's a a ginger sauce or a sweet chilli sauce or a soy sauce, whatever you've had your food of choice soaking in, that's the flavour that's going to permeate it once it's cooked. And, And that is what happens with us. See, I've noticed in my life that what I'm listening to in my spare time affects my attitude and my behavior. Um, so if I'm, I'm driving a bit or I'm out in the paddock doing something that I don't need to concentrate on, often I'll be listening. I'll have some headphones in or I'll have my phone on listening to something. Uh, and I listen to a lot of audio books. Some of them are Christian, some of them aren't, some are just novels. And I've noticed that if I'm listening to a lot of non-Christian stuff, Uh, It changes my attitude, it changes my behaviour. I'm not listening to anything particularly immoral, but a lot of them are like kind of historical battle scene kind of things. And I find that it makes me a bit more short-tempered. It makes me a bit more angsty. On the contrary, I've noticed that if I listen to a lot of, say, Christian podcasts or just an audio Bible, I'm a lot more even-keeled. It affects how I behave. And it's not because I've learned something, I've thought, oh, I'll go home and do that when I get home with the family. It's because my mind, my self has been marinating, has been soaking in good and wholesome things rather than just in something neutral. Uh, And what is clear as we work through the New Testament is it's not about learning a list of do's and don'ts, memorising what God wants us to do and not. But it's actually about so saturating ourselves in who god is and how he speaks that we start to learn the kind of things that god values we learn his patterns Uh, that's what paul says you know then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will because you'll have noticed that for so many things in life the bible doesn't have an explicit answer should you drink coffee or not well how much coffee should you drink How much should you spend on your coffee should you have a car yeah so there's a whole bunch of things that the bible doesn't deal with directly so we we don't get to go okay well i'll turn to ephesians chapter 16 and find out how much i can spend on my car no 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 we we get to know god by the transforming of our mind as we're in his word and that equips us to test and approve what his will is. it shows us the kind of god he is we see the patterns and it helps us when we come to any decision we're making to know what it will look like we learn to get a bit of a feel for what god wants now some things are really clear there are a lot of things in the bible that tells us and the way we get that feel comes from those principles but it starts in the mind and it carries on in the mind we don't make this change by some you know spiritual retreat where you just go and hum for a few days it's the transformation of our mind And as we start asking, well, what will our individual living sacrifices look like? It's absolutely crucial to understand that God has designed us to have lives that are complementary. Now, when we uh, were looking at the Old Testament sacrifices uh, earlier, I've been thinking about that. And and I wonder if for the Old Testament Israelites, they had a bit of sacrifice envy. Now, this isn't a real picture of an Old Testament sacrifice, but I reckon uh, the Israelites, as they turned up, uh, with their one-year-old ram without blemish I reckon a bunch of them couldn't help but noticing the ram that their, uh, their neighbour bought don't you reckon they'd all be lined up there waiting for sacrifice day and they'd be walking along and you'd look around and go oh, I can see um yeah I can see Joel's bought a good uh, good good sacrifice this year pretty good and then you might look at your ram and go oh how how did that go I reckon they were all lined up and they think oh do you think they would have got a bit of sacrifice envy from time to time or maybe sacrifice pride as they compared what other sacrifices look like? Well, maybe that happens for us as well. Perhaps as you look at other people's Christian lives, the way they live, perhaps uh, you're looking into Christianity, you're not a Christian yet. And perhaps you think, well, that's exactly why I could never be a Christian. I can't make my life like that. I know some really amazing Christians. I could never do the sort of things they do. I would be a hopeless sacrifice. Maybe you're already a Christian, but you're feeling along similar lines. Like those Jews looking at their neighbors, a sacrificial animal. Maybe you're thinking as a Christian, my living sacrifice looks pretty ordinary. Compared to those other Christians, mine looks pretty ordinary. Uh, Maybe you felt the green tinge of sacrifice envy and and wished that you had the skills or gifts that other Christians have. Or perhaps it's the opposite. And you found yourself slipping into that comfortable feeling of, well, God got a pretty good deal when he saved me. Because my living sacrifice, well, it compares pretty favorably as I look along the lineup. Or personally for me, I'm pretty special because I've experienced all three of these different things. At different points, I know the feeling of that hopelessness, that I will never be able to live the kind of life that I see this other Christian living. I have slipped into sacrificial envy and jealousy, especially as I see people's gifts and attributes. And I've known that green tinge of pride that can creep in insidious and subtle. So how should we deal with it as we look across the church at other Christians and think, well, what should my living sacrifice look like? Well, Paul deals with this head-on, and we get that in verse 3. Paul says, By the grace given to me, I say to each one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, from one body, and e- form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What Paul says is, we are different by design. Our individual living sacrifice will not all look the same. They'll be tremendously varied, not like everyone with their one-year-old male sheep without blemish lined up, they look kind of similar. No, no, no. The living sacrifice of each individual Christian will be different, will be complementary, like the different parts of a single body. What Paul says here is that no Christian has everything they need. No single Christian, however godly or gifted or independent, has been given everything they need. No one's got the whole body. We're all just parts and we need one another. We need one another. God did it on purpose. He made us complementary. He made us to be dependent on one another. That means that wherever you are with your gifting and your Christian life, if you're in Jesus' family, the church needs you. You are an indispensable part by God's design of the church. We have different gifts Uh, And when I say that word gifts, you might get hung up on, well, is my attribute a spiritual gift or just a skill I've got? Uh, The Bible doesn't seem to make that uh, distinction. Uh, In fact, as we look across the list of spiritual gifts, every list is different. Um, Some of them include administration and hospitality, uh, not just teaching and encouragement. There's a whole range of gifts. So a gift, I guess, is a spiritual gift when we use it for God's glory when we use it for the building up on the church, which means it could be practically anything. But the big application here, Paul says, is don't be proud. Don't be proud. Don't look down on others who don't have the same gifting in you and say, wow, that person is so impatient. Or that person doesn't get nearly as much done as I do. Or that person fails in an area where I seem to do well. No, 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 no. Paul says, don't do that. Don't think of yourself more highly, but recognize God has given us all different gifts. Embrace the diversity. One of the things I love about being in the network of churches we're in, the FIEC, is the diversity we see across the network. There's a new church planted down in Glenorchy uh, about 18 months ago, mid-COVID, great time to start a church, uh, in, in one of the poorest areas in Tasmania. And they have a marvelous outreach into a particular part of the community. I look at that and say, wow, that's amazing. I I look at uh, churches like Hunter Bible Church in Newcastle. uh, And in any given year, they might have 15 or 20 or 25 people they have sent to Bible College. Because they have this wonderful uni ministry of young adults that they're investing in. We have different churches in different places with different gifts that together complement one another. Isn't that wonderful to see the different things that different churches and groups are doing? But it happens in an amazing way, even just within our church. Uh, I won't say whose home it was at, but uh, last night I went to a bloke's thing where we ate some smoked meat, uh, we had a couple of beers, and we enjoyed time together. That would be easy to walk into that and think, oh, I could never do hospitality like this. I don't have a space that I could use for this. I couldn't do that and cater and make people feel welcome. It would be easy to look at that and go, oh, I could never run a kid's church thing. I could never get up there and preach. I can't sing. Oh, my back's bad. I can't help with the setup. But instead, that's not the thing to do. So isn't it wonderful that God has given us different gifts? And the key there is to use your gifts use the gifts that we've been given which is where Paul goes next he says we all have these different gifts according to the grace given to each of us if your gift is prophesying then prophesy in accordance with your faith if it's serving then serve if it's teaching then teach if it's to encourage then give encouragement if it is to if it's giving then give generously if it's to lead do it diligently if it's diligently if it's to show mercy do it cheerfully you get the emphasis there Whatever your gift is, use it and use it to the best of your ability. Now, there are lots of gifts, a whole range of them, a whole variety. Use them. And I want to encourage us to give different things a crack, give them a go. Often we won't know if we can do something until we give it a shot. Um, Now, we're not going to leave you alone in that here at Lake Max. So if you uh, think, I'd like to have a go at this, I'd like to be trained, I'd like some help. Uh, come and see us we would love to help you out with that Uh, but know that as we give different things a shot we will be better and worse at different things that's what God says he hasn't given us all the same gifts he hasn't given any one of us all the gifts we will be good at some things and not so good at other things we'll be gifted at some things and not so gifted at others but often the gifts are scaled take encouragement for example yeah, you know, the gift of encouragement is listed. Does that mean if I go, well, I don't have the gift of encouragement, therefore, I don't have to encourage anyone. I can just say it as, I, as it is. No, no, no. Uh, we're to be kind, all Christians, to be kind and encouraging and uplifting. But some people just seem to have the gift of saying the right thing at the right moment and bringing a great spiritual encouragement. And if that's you, use it. Seek people who are hurting who need encouragement, who are down or low or flat and use it all the more. But if you don't particularly have the gifts, just do your best. (laughs) Try not to be nasty, try and be encouraging, but celebrate those that have that gift. We need to be encouraged, I think, to max out on our giftings. Whatever our gifts are, do it as best as you can and as each one of us works at our gifts as god does his transforming work in us we will end up together with a culture of love because there is a danger here that even exercising our gifts and skills can trip us up i know i can fall into the trap of focusing okay god you've gifted me with this i'm going to excel at doing this as best as i can do you see the danger there It's become about me and me using my gift as best as possible. Even me being most effective and multiplying my gift. No, that's not what it's about. It's not to be self-serving or just about me, but about actions and attitudes, love and service of other people. And that will build a culture. And that's where Paul lands this chunk. Have a listen as Paul kind of describes the culture of the church who behaves in this way love must be sincere not token hate what is evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourself some translations say outdo one another in showing honor it's like no no i I want you to go first i want you to go no not, not quite that silly at the door but outdo one another in showing honor Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. See how all these are one another? You can't really exercise your spiritual gifts in a vacuum. You need a community to do it. And as we exercise our gifts within that community, it creates this culture. It's interpersonal. It's all done and expressed in the context of relationships. Well, how do we do it? How do we actually turn all this into practice? Well, you've probably noticed on your handout that we've always got a little hands box at the bottom uh, with a little question, how will this transform my life? Uh, And the goal of that box uh, is that we can write something in there, something I will do this week, something I will change, something that will help me be transformed. You might want to put one of these in here. And I've just got a, a little thing that I'm going to work on for each of these uh, each of these points. So as we think, well, living sacrifice, what is a living sacrifice? This life lived out, I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to pray, I'm going to spend some time with God saying, God, take my life. Please, I want to live my whole life for you. It starts with a commitment. As we think through what a mind renewal will look like, well, I'm going to think about marinating. Not my uh, chicken skewers, but my mind, my ears, my eyes. Not just getting rid of stuff that's unhealthy, uh, but also going, well, what neutral things am I soaking in that are the things of the world that bit by bit I could replace with godly things that are going to change the way I think, the way I react? What will that look like? I want to try marinating. As we think about being complimentary, uh, one thing I'm going to try doing this week is work through, I'm going to try for our whole church, so I'll give it a crack, uh, and give thanks for each individual by name and say thank you for something that I've noticed that they are gifted at, that they do, that they contribute, who they are. And I don't think I'm going to struggle. I reckon I'll be struggling to stop at one But that's going to help in me create a culture of thankfulness and valuing of the diversity of gifts because they will all be different. Maybe start with your home group. As we think about using your gifts, well, that's pretty simple, I think. Have a go. Maybe there's something that you go, yeah, I I know I'm gifted at this. I can help with that. Is there a way that you can max that out, that you can do it all the more? But there might be some things that you haven't identified that you go, well, I'm not sure if I could do that. We'll explore ways to have a go, to have a crack. And finally, the culture. I think we desperately need to be feeding the culture. Uh, And that means encouraging those sort of things. Uh, So, when someone maybe shares with us uh, over conversations they've had with a non Christian friend or family member, uh, and they're a bit down about it because it didn't go so well, maybe we can be patient and live in hope with them maybe we can help restore their spiritual fervor and encouragement keep on with this let's pray together for your friend for your family member uh, what what might it look like to celebrate when someone says hey I've been wrestling with this sin and I've I've had some victory not just go oh that's a bit awkward I don't like talking about sin you might not say that you might just think it but say oh that's wonderful how can we celebrate that's how we feed the culture how we build one another up because the problem with the living sacrifice is we all keep crawling off the altar we're gonna need one another to keep coming back to it I think one of the key ways we can do that is sing, and we're gonna do that in a few minutes after question time Uh, and I want to encourage you as you sing to think that this is one of the ways we do feed this culture our songs are really carefully chosen not just for their music and their tempo but their words Think about what we're singing and proclaiming to one another. I'm going to pray now and then we'll jump in for some questions if you've got any. Father God, we thank you and praise you that you don't leave us on our own wondering what it is that brings you pleasure, what it is that, brings, uh, that is a, a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice. Thank you that you show us uh, over and over again what it looks like to live lives that are devoted and honoring to you But we know ourselves, Father, we know that as living sacrifices we keep slipping and even crawling off that altar and we pray for those of us who love you that you will help us to recommit every morning, every day, every hour, every minute to living for you. Keep it at the front of our minds in every part of our life and everything that we're doing. We pray that you will help us not to do this for ourselves because we think that this is the right thing to do or a good thing to do or a satisfying thing to do but you'll help us to change our motivations and do it for your honour, for your glory, for your good and for the good of your people. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're at that point where we get to ask you questions. Please, no no medical questions. Uh, That'd be helpful. Uh, Rob's going to come around with a mic. I'll I'll do that while you come
2: around with the mic. We go. Why don't we kick off with? You got your phone on. Texted in one. (laughs) Oh, that's helpful. Uh, All right. Uh, Question: Working for large corporates is becoming harder and harder for me as the need to agree with the LGBTQ message sometimes feels overwhelming. What does Mm. the living sacrifice look like in this context? Speaking out with a, with disagreement and potentially losing clients or a job or something else.
1: Wonderful question. Whoever texted that one in, so thank you. Uh, and just a warning: we're not going to have a very uh, clear and always answer because life is complex, isn't it? Life is so complex as we try and work out. Well, how do we how do we love those we're around? Uh, and I think a big part of it is is coming back to an attitude uh, of of asking how can I best give those around me, how can I give them the best chance of coming to know Jesus? That's a really helpful diagnostic question as we think about what we do and the manner in which we do it. Uh, How can I give those around me the best possible chance of coming to know Jesus? Now that will immediately shape our demeanour. So if, if something comes up at work that like So that that particular question, maybe it's a, I don't know what colour it is, but wear this particular colour to show that we're an inclusive workplace and that you support uh, the uh, LGBTQ uh, agenda. um, Well, uh, that's gonna be a hard one. And it will all depend on what you're being asked to do. I I think uh, in general, uh, it's a good principle to say, always tell the truth. Always tell the truth. So if, you're, if your workplace is saying, hey, you got to wear this to show that you support this, yeah, okay, that's not truthful if I don't support this. How, how do I do that? But I want to behave in such a way and do it in such a way, my demeanor, that I'm not putting people offside. I don't want to give someone a bad taste of Christianity. I don't want to present Jesus as being harsh and unloving. Because Jesus is open to all, no matter our background, uh, where we've come from. Jesus wants to bring us in and forgive us, if only we'll come to him in repentance and faith. Anyone can come into Jesus' family on those requirements. So we don't want to give uh, an attitude that says Jesus is uh, unaccessible to any demographic. But it's a really tricky one as we try and work that out. But I think we go, well, what does it look like in love? Uh, those are the particular tricky questions that we come to. I'd encourage you to bring it to your home group and have a chat about it. Uh, it happened recently with uh, someone in our church, and it was texted around a group of people saying, Hey, I've, I've got this particular issue. The workplace is asking me to endorse this particular thing. I've sought to raise it with my management. I'm really nervous. I'm being called in for a meeting. And we prayed for them, and we were standing with them. We were checking in how did it go? And it actually went really well. I think it was done in a quite, a, quite, a, quite an appropriate way. Really delicate. On the whole, though, in the workplace, I think it comes down to a living sacrifice. Looks like being honest and working hard. Uh, there are two things that Jesus says we should do when we're working. Uh, he's, he says we, we, we should work as if our masters were watching whenever we're working, whether they're watching or not. Uh, and we're called to be honest. And it's a little bit sad, but if we work hard and are completely trustworthy, you will find that that is a wonderful witness in any workplace. So there's a lot of simple things we can do all the time. And there's some really complex moments where it's going to take prayer and careful consideration to think, well, how do I tell the truth, honour God in this situation, and still give people the best possible chance of coming to Jesus. Lyneth, thank you. Oh, first, we got one beforehand. Thanks, Mal. Sorry. Yeah. Save Rob running around. He saw from CrossFit yesterday, right? Sorry. Um, yeah, just uh, I guess um, just on the renewal of the mind, mm. I was listening to a particular um, preacher that I like to listen to being interviewed about how he gets to, you know, what some of the tips. One of the things that he said, he, he loves to read very widely mm-hmm. and to understand uh, different philosophies, yep. cultures, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I find that stuff really useful as well. Mm. So I'm just kind of wondering how that fits in with the marinating stuff. If yeah, like. yeah, thanks, Mel. Um, so I'm hearing you say, uh, we've, you've had some advice, read quite widely, different philosophies, uh, that will help with the renewal of your mind. Yet, what I said was, yeah, that was the advice to renew your mind. It's good to, good to, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you said read lots of Bible and hear from God's word as well. Yes, that's good. Um, so read widely, and I'm sort of saying, ah, uh, maybe saturate yourself in godly stuff and not so much this other stuff. I think there, are, yes. So thank you. I reckon there are two distinct ways to read. Uh, things of the world so I don't think we have to say well there's some things I think we should never be letting into our eyes and ears uh, that are ungodly and unwholesome that are filth for for what of another word that I think you you don't want to read that widely Uh, but uh, I think we can read say another philosophy uh, or something about other religions or written by people who are unbelievers but doing it with a open mind that's saying Father, help me learn from this what I can, uh, not just absorbing it. So that's probably what I mean by marinating. So that's probably more, if if I just absorb stuff, not being thoughtful, it actually changes the way I think, and I don't even know it's happening. But if I'm going, hey, I'm I'm actually going to intentionally read uh, this other religious text or i'm going to read these particular columns in a particular new newspaper uh, so that i know what's going on but i'm i'm not just going to absorb it i'm going to be thinking okay how does this fit in with what uh, god is wanting me to be transformed in the likeness of his son so i think there's particular ways that we can do that yep thanks Mal. and then Lineth. all right
2: on my way i'll just give you a pastor to pass the nudge got a couple of questions come in sure go for shorter answers. done
3: Hi. Um, in reference to the parable of the talents, where yep. one was given 10, yep. that one was given 5, and then the last one was given 1. Yes. And the one that was given 1 actually hid his talent. Mm-hmm. And um. so firstly, my question is, how do you overcome fear mm. of using your gift or your yep. talent? I don't know but whether you're faithful to use your talent or your gift. Yep. You obviously have the gift of utterance. How did you personally overcome the fear of speaking? Yep. Okay, that's one question. And I know this practice makes perfect. Yep. But like in the church setting, I don't really know what other people's gifts are. So my question is, how do you overcome fear of exercising a gift, what if you're a shy person? How do you actually overcome
1: that? Mm,
3: yeah. Uh, if you're a private person, you know?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for that. that. That's that's really key. I think it's good to recognise that not everyone are extroverts, not everyone's introverts, not everyone wants to be up the front or not. Um, so we are all made differently, and there are tremendous ways that shy people or insecure people, uh, I think we all have our own insecurities, can, can, can serve, um, I think you're right, you already said it, one, uh, there is a criticism from God of those who don't use their gifts, who've been gifted with a talent and God says, it. The, it well he doesn't say the worst thing you can do but it's pretty close the worst thing you do is not use that. What, what, the gift that you've been given is a gift from God to the church and if we don't use it then it's like burying it so the church doesn't have access to it. So you're right, absolutely, we should be. How do you overcome that I think, uh, first, find a safe group of people. If you're not in a home group, get in one uh, and start using it amongst people you know. It doesn't mean, yeah. so my first public speaking thing in a Christian context was not preaching. I was doing kids' talks in smaller groups. Uh, There were different ways that you can start exercising it bit by bit by bit by bit. And if your gifting grows sometimes or matures or is trained, that's that's the key, key one. But I think those keys, find safe people uh, that you can, you know, you don't have to start publicly. It can be in a smaller group. Uh, but just just have a go and find people who are encouraging. You know, go, 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 you know, find someone with the gift of encouragement and talk about your gift with them. If you're a bit insecure, that's probably a good place to start. Next, next. sorry, well, you can All come right. and sit with me at dinner if you like, if you've got more than that, Lyneth.
2: Yep. Uh, I've got a couple come in. I'll get the first one. Uh, if I don't think I have a particular gift, does that mean I should not try it, especially if there is a need?
1: Ah, very good. Uh, so if you don't think you've got a particular gift, should I not try it, especially if there's a need? Depends completely on what it is. Uh, so it doesn't matter how low we get on singers, we're not going to get Rob to help lead the singing. He's... Uh, uh, there's there's a couple of issues uh, I'll there. Just jump in uh,
2: there and say I did try singing in church once, and a small child cried.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I haven't gone back. Um, so no, it it's completely depends on what it is. So something I, I'd encourage you to have a go, uh, and seek seek advice. So say, oh, like, hey, I've noticed there's a need here. Can I help out? Is this something, I don't feel particularly gifted. Is that something I can help with? Because that that exemplifies, I think, the kind of attitude that is other person-centred. And that's what God says, isn't it? Don't do this for you. Do this for the church. Step into a space, even if you're not feeling comfortable and think I'm not particularly gifted. But then mm, talk to the leader of that ministry. If they say, oh, look, thank you, but thanks, Rob. But hey, maybe you just... Stick to what you're great at at the moment. Oh, thanks, Liam, don't do that. Um, yeah. so seek advice, but in general, I think, yeah, ha- have, have a bit of a go, Yeah.
2: All right, last one that's come in. Uh, how do we know what our gifts are when we aren't sure what they are? Mm. How do we encourage others who suffer with low self-esteem?
1: Fantastic, how do we know what our gifts are? Um, often our gifts will run in parallel with our other skills. That's often the way it works. So I was always good at debating and public speaking. Uh, Cattle judging, if you're particularly interested. Jumping up in front of a group of people and convincing them that that's the best cow, not that's the best cow. Um, So, you know, surprise, surprise, I can talk in front of groups of people. Now that is quite different to preaching, but it overlaps a little bit. So look at the skills that you have in general life. What can I do? How can I help? How can I serve? Where might that fit in church? Uh, I think that's a good way and ask some people who know you well. The best way is to be known. Ask a good Christian friend or your home group. Say, hey, I'm struggling to identify where I might be gifted, what I might be good at. Uh, they'll come up with some ideas, I guarantee it. And on the same, same way, please, yeah, in, how can I encourage people? I think by being esteeming, by being encouraging, by spurring them on. Hey, give it a go. Maybe we could try it privately. Maybe we could try it in a small group first. I think it's a great way to be encouraging. Uh, and... Singing. That's a good segue, isn't it? Uh, Come on up, musos. Uh, And as we, this is a great song to sing through as we think about exercising our gifts, isn't it? Uh, Because ultimately, it's not in our own strength, but in Jesus.